Welcome to this week's episode of Birthright Living Legacy Podcast, where we share the stories of fatherhood and their effects because there is no manual. We are here to learn from each other as we build our fatherhood playbook. Now welcome your hosts, Marquise and Crystal Dennis. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so excited here for you today. Uh, we get a chance to interview uh, and talk with one of the most amazing people this side of the Rio Grande. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you've ever met or heard of her, but she goes by the name of Crystal Dennis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a marriage tip 101 in that. I almost stopped him like, no, no, I introduce the people, you introduce me. And then I would have missed my opportunity to be uh, raised up. So anyways, thanks, love. I appreciate that. And welcome back, everyone. We're so excited to have you. Today, we have a special guest who has been married for 35 years. He's got one son and an adopted daughter. He is also a former pastor of Hosanna Church in Houston. So without further ado, please help me welcome James Bell. All right. Hi there, Marquise and Crystal. <laughs> how, how great to be with you today. Yes, thanks for coming and being on the show. Certainly. Yeah, we're super excited. Um, you guys are uh, super important to us, but for the world, uh, we definitely get to uh, kind of reintroduce you uh, for some of the great things that you've done. So uh, you've been um, able to step in and help us as far as marriage is concerned. But, uh, you know, what was it like in James Bale's, James Bale's world uh, oh, being your father's son? How <laughs> <laughs> What was it like being my father's son? Is that the question? Oh, yeah. Okay, I was all prepped to give you some great marriage. <laughs> I know, that's where I thought we were going, <laughs> too, and then he right. did a hard left. I was like, it oh, was all right. A, <laughs> it was interesting. Uh, oh, sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I think it, and I'm having such a, making such an impression before I really said anything. But uh, my dad was what they would call a man's man. He was a, he was a great athlete, had some records in track and basketball in Texas many years ago, and and uh, coached as well as teaching school. And uh, everything I would say about him would be, would have to be good in the good mm -hmm. category. But I always felt a little like I wasn't quite good enough for him. Mm -hmm. I think I, I grew up feeling definitely lesser than. Mm -hmm. And there were times when he really sort of enhanced that by, I guess what he would say, being truth, being really truthful and very honest and uh, I can remember times of always trying to please him mm -hmm. and thinking, what would it really take? Mm -hmm. And one, I remember one cold rainy night and uh, <clears throat> I'd just taken a shower after a basketball game. It was the best game I'd had in high school. And uh, I thought, man, after that performance, he's going to have to really, <laughs> he's going to have to lay a heavy compliment on me. And this is going to be one for the record books because he never brags on me when I do something like that. And, right. But tonight, he has no choice. I mean, let's face it, that was a great performance. And yeah. So I squeeze into the car, and we drive along, and I'm waiting. And he said, I cannot believe the guy that they had on you. Uh, that was pathetic. You could have had 50 points. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. Okay, there you oh, go. Talk about a gut check. There you have oh, it, folks. Oh, man. But I, th I think he would, he would probably say something to someone else. 
Mm-hmm. It was kind of there were a lot of old school guys that were kind of like that. He might say something really nice about me to someone else, but not to me. Never to you. And so it was always uh, this struggle of trying to to be. I didn't want to just be accepted. I wanted him to be really proud of me. Right. Which I think is interesting because my son, who is now in his early forties, mm-hmm. I said something about being really proud of him for something he did, and he said, "Boy, that really means a lot." And I said, "Really?" And he said, "Yeah, I just." I, I really wanted to hear you say that you were proud of me. Wow. Really? Wow. Oh, my goodness. I guess it just keeps on going generation on to going. generation. Mm-hmm. You know? So let me ask you this. Was your dad your coach or just a coach? A coach. Okay. He wasn't like your basketball coach or anything. He chose to never coach me. That's probably good. I was going to ask, like, yeah. what was that like? Because when I met my dad, mm-hmm. he was my sister's softball coach. Yeah. And, like, you know, there's always this weird dynamic of trying to, yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's, like, trying to matter. But yeah. no matter what she does, it's critique, critique, critique. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I, I guess that's just the dad mentality. You really just want the best for your child because it's like how are you going to be a coach if your kid is not you know smashing on everyone you know it can get ridiculous (laughs) and i know there there are there are examples here in tulsa of you know one of my favorite players his dad was his coach and then there's a kid at jinx now his dad is a a great coach and he's a high point scorer on the team Mm -hmm. and his dad's also an nfl uh, referee and all this kind of stuff and you think it makes me wonder how wonder how the interaction is at home, at home right. from all from all indications, it's positive and that kind of thing. But he just chose not to do it, and and in a way, looking back, I'm kind of glad mm-hmm. because I remember everything from little league up. You can almost, you can go in a restaurant where there's little league players there, and I do this sometimes, and I'll say, I bet you I can tell you who plays what position. I can see, and I almost always get it right. Like the the littlest one is usually going to be second baseman, mm-hmm. tallest one will be the first baseman. Look at the kid that has the looks like he has the biceps. He's going to be shortstop or third, on and on. But it's without, without, almost without exception, the pitcher is going to be the coach's son. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Maybe that's why he's coaching. You know? And the chubby but kid I, will be the catcher. And the chubby kid will be the catcher. <laughs> he didn't have to move around, but he can throw it. He can block that plate. That's it. But there's a, no, it. No, it's I. I saw that happen in a lot of other dynamics with with other kids and all that. But but Dad was just the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. He. Uh, I knew some of the guys that he played for, that, that played for him, and he was a really good coach. And part of it was he taught at a different school than where I went to school. So oh, that's good. In high school. I, I remember one time, though, when I was, I guess, in junior high, and we played his team, and his team was, like, really, really good, and mm-hmm. I knew that. And uh, and I, I never will forget, I, I made one point. There was a, a free throw, and that was about, that was about it for me because they were just killing us you know we were we didn't score hardly anything and all the way home he said boy i really thought the guy would have had y'all coached up a little better than that it was kind of embarrassing that you know that that we were so much better and i said always looking for the compliment i said well at least i had one point and he said (laughs) Yeah, actually, you stepped over the line, but the ref oh, didn't no. call. Oh, no. <laughs> ref's an old friend of mine. He didn't want to call that because you guys are getting killed, you know. Oh, man. So that all of those were kind of funny and maybe a little sad sounding. But really, the, the relationship was good. It was just one of those things that affects you when mm. you're growing up. I think a lot of guys want to impress their dads. Oh, yeah. And 
And then I don't know if the roles were reversed. I think now we live in a different time. Yeah, I was going to say, could you give us a little are, bit of context of about when about the era that you were in school, uh, so yeah. that way they kind of get an idea. Yeah. Well, I graduated from high school in 1964. Okay. So that was like late 50s, early 60s. Nice. And a lot of things were different, and I won't bore people by going into it. But for yeah. example, if you can if you come down the the floor and and you hit a long shot, you know, that was a pretty amazing shot or something. The cool thing to do was turn around and run back up the court as if you had done nothing. Oh, wow. Celebrating was considered to be really cheesy. You know, it really? Was, like one coach oh, said. Oh, my, how far we've come. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, well, there, was one, uh, there was one famous coach, I think, that said uh, about football players, he said, you know, when you make it in the end zone, act like you've been there before. Well, <laughs> you know, three minute. Uh, yeah, three minute dance where you got everybody <laughs> all together. That, there is. Oh, man. It's, yeah, it was really different like that about what was cool and what wasn't. But I think the way, not only do we have, uh, this is kind of the era of celebrations, and sometimes you think they had to practice that a lot. You know, think, oh, yeah. This is his first touchdown of the whole season. I think, well, at last he got to do a celebration because it looks like he's worked on it for a long oh, time. Oh, yeah. He's at home like, <laughs> oh, do we? Hey, Jimmy, can you come over? We just need to practice it one more time. I feel like it's part of tryouts. Like, that's what yeah. the term, nah, that was weak sauce, man. We can't have you do that on the field and along, and along with that you have these uh affirming dads right that they maybe they needed it when they were young and they're mm-hmm. and they just kind of affirm affirm over affirm until right and participation trophies and on and on finally the kid <laughs> just kind of getting bored with the whole thing you know, you know what I, I i just heard you say like in the explanation of what your dad was doing something that I didn't even realize until the second time you had, had explained it about him commenting about the the, the referee thing. Uh-huh. He never, like, he never directly praised you, but he also didn't blame you. Right. Because I see that a lot, too, where coaches are like, see, instead of it being like, hey, you know, you did a good job or you didn't do a good job, it was, I wish your coach had coached you better. Or, yeah. you know, the guy that was on defense sucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But he didn't, he didn't That's like, right. curta- he didn't like, like attack your character like yeah. oh james you know i taught you better than this or you yeah. should have you should have you and then you just leave like feeling like right. crap you know what's funny about that marquise is that you learn or at least i learned to take those kind of things where he would blame somebody else for something terrible i took it kind of like a compliment really because i thought there wasn't anything for him to criticize on that that's you awesome as a, as uh as compared to, I remember one time we were playing, uh, we were playing Booker T. Washington, and nobody had beat them that year, and we upset them, and then we had to play them again in the, that same season, which was unfortunate. <laughs> but, <laughs> but during that one time, I guess they let down the guard or something. But mm-hmm. but during that game, my dad was sitting right on the corner of the of the court where, and I was like, I could have almost reached out and touched him. Wow! And uh, I was guarding this star player they had. And he just looked, he was jawing the whole game. But he said it, my dad was close enough to hear him when he said, shoes untied. And I looked down and he was around me and ducking the ball. You know? And I thought, God, I hope dad didn't hear that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we were driving along in the car later and he said, uh, about that shoes untied thing. <laughs> I thought, oh God. And he said, that's about the dumbest thing I've ever seen you do. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's oh, but, funny, but yeah, you look back; it's all funny. And, and all in all, he was a good guy, and, yeah. and he did. He taught me a lot, and I will say this about him: that was really important. He taught me a lot of things about playing the game, 
that really helped me as a shy kid mm-hmm. growing up with him. Because when I went to the playground or to PE at school when I was growing up, there's a lot of stuff I knew. I could always use athleticism to make friends. Okay. And a lot of that's because my dad taught me stuff, you know, about I, I knew things a lot of kids didn't know about uh, making different moves on different people and what you do and you know. So I think his his intention was good, and uh, and that and he was very involved in church and he kept us in church and uh, there was a lot of reading the Bible at home and uh, I think he he wondered if I if he was raising a little heathen at one point and there were times <laughs> that I I had to stay in the the big church with mom and dad for a month. I was suspended from children's church. Uh, Oh, wow. uh, You? Yeah, and it was because uh, they told my parents that I threatened another kid with a a beer opener, Mm. which we didn't have a beer opener. We we had Coke openers, I guess. I never thought of it as a beer opener. I was like, I think they're one and the same. Yeah, (laughs) but it made it sound worse. Yeah, a bottle opener is what I thought they were going to do. The children's church teacher had a son named Velbert who was a bully. And he would come in, and, and he would take out his knife and stick the point of it right underneath my rib. And he was bigger than I was. And he'd say something to me and say, and if you don't like it, I'll just shove this right in. And wow. he, he was intimidating me, and, and I, I finally got sick of it. I didn't have a knife, but I found this can opener, <laughs> oh, a.k.a. beer opener. Beer so opener. when he whipped out his knife, I whipped out my beer opener. And uh, I guess I whipped it out a little too strong, drew a little blood, and the oh, next wow. thing I know, he was crying to Mama, and I was sitting by my folks in church. But <laughs> <laughs> imagine getting that call. That was, one, yeah. of the, that was yeah. one of the early uh, religious experiences I had with him, and they put up with a lot. I remember one in yeah. the Christian school where we went. They said, uh, they they called my mother and said, "Your, your son's gonna have to stay home for two days suspension for." And she said, isn't that a little serious? I know he talks all the time. I know he's, you know, he's always bugging the other kids when he should be listening. But isn't that a little severe? And she said, no. Uh, your son hit brother, it was a church school. Your son hit brother Bruce in the stomach with his fist. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, let's go home. But there, <laughs> there, wow. I think some of the, some of the frustration of, um, of feeling lesser than and some some people are just naturally more that way than others, and I, I really was. And I had a brother who had cerebral palsy and, and couldn't walk, and I became very defensive about him. And if somebody said something to him, you know, there was uh, that I got in a lot of fights. And I, when I was a kid, I had this little philosophy that really worked for me. When little boys start fighting, they start off by, by mouthing off at each other. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah, well, yeah, this, well, yeah. I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. If they started with me, I just stood there. I didn't say anything. But I would just get closer and closer and closer. <laughs> and they, but I didn't say, look at them in the eye, I didn't say anything. And I'd wait till the right time and hit them in the face and as hard pow, as I could. Right in the kiss. And usually, it's amazing, but usually they didn't get up. Really? Because they thought I was really tough. James is the mystery man on that subway video we watched. Yeah, <laughs> but I wasn't, and uh, and that lasted for a long. I kind of had bluffed people, and that lasted until I never will forget. There was this kid in our school named Charles Feathers. Mm-hmm. He was a new kid. All the girls liked him, and uh, it was kind of jealous of him, you know. And so he he said something, and I did that little thing to him and decked him, and he got up. Mm-hmm. 
And when my dad came to pick me up, my face was blue and black. And I thought, driving on the way home, I thought, this is my last fight, you know. (laughs) 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 This is not nearly as fun as it used to be. But I think a lot of that was, uh, I guess, a troubled childhood. And it's kind of the way I remember it's pretty different than mother and dad did. But I know that I say that to kind of equal the, you know, the playing field because yeah. I'm sure it wasn't easy for them either putting up a kid like me. But Oh, yeah, you're out breaking people's <laughs> jaws. I mean, you know, getting kicked out of children's church. Uh, yeah. I didn't know you were thugging back then. That's, yeah. that's interesting to know. I'm trying to get out there with you to have some interesting <laughs> background, Marquis. I know you, you probably got me covered on all of that. No, no, I I, uh, I was the guy that was screaming from the rafters. And then when you start walking up the stairs, I was like, all right, you know what? I don't want to play anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I was one of those guys that, uh, you know, you, you you swing first and then they get up and you go, no, you know what? Let's just talk this out. (laughs) There was one kid that I would have never picked on anybody like you, you know, but there, there was one kid that was close and, uh, and nobody messed with him. And uh, he grew up in a neighborhood where, you know, he had a lot of experience dealing with guys and tough guys and, and uh, we had a little row playing ball, and I told him to go out behind the gym. I met him out behind the gym, and just about. And I was about in the tenth grade then, and my, and all of a sudden I felt a hand on the back of my collar, and my dad jerked me back, and he said, "You go get in the car right now." And he said to them, "It's all over, guys. It's not going to happen. Everybody go back to where you're going." He knew how to handle that. He was a coach at another school. Yeah. And we get in the car, and and he said, "Anytime you want to thank me." For saving your yes. rear end. He said you yes. were about you're about two minutes away from that's exa- being in a that's exactly pool what I was of blood down the whole time. <laughs> he like, said you. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> uh, so let's dissect some of that a little bit. Just going back to the beginning, you know, your dad seems to be more um athletically drawn by nature. Was mm-hmm. that also a talent or a desire of yours, or was it just like dad is involved in this, I want dad's approval, so I'm gonna be, you know, yeah. athletic as well. That's a good point, uh, Crystal. Because that was I, I planned on being a, a, a pro. You know, when when I was a kid, I really thought the Lord's because we were going to church all the time, and I really felt like the Lord's will for my life. You know, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Our pastor used to always say, and I thought it was either the Cardinals or the Yankees. De- <laughs> de- wow, definitely third base. You know, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, and my I would I had this deal with God that I would you know plan. Little league ball and all that. I would pray for the kid to hit it to me at third, and I would say, "Lord, just get that kid to hit it to me, and uh, I'll, man, I'll fire that ball to third and get those suckers out left and right." Yeah, you just give me a little, little sign here, and all <laughs> that. And I remember my mother saying, "Have you considered that you're praying for them to hit the ball to you and what you're going to do and all that? What if that child is a believer, and he's mm-hmm. also praying?" And I told mother. Be very careful about questioning the will of God <laughs> oh, no. for his for his servant. You know, is that, wow! <laughs> don't be step, don't so be stepping on my dream here. You know, <laughs> so it wasn't, but it wasn't mother or anybody of that ilk. It was more uh, some high school pitchers that introduced me to curveballs and sliders, and I realized ain't going to be the Yankees or the Cardinals. <laughs> <laughs> it might be the Tulsa Drillers. <laughs> So then you kind of dabbled a little bit into this uh, more or less violent streak, you know, started out with the the beer opener and that kind of daisy chained into some other, you know, 
fight. Well, to be fair, he was being bullied or at well, least the, attempted Well, the bullied. beer can opener, yeah. he was being bullied. I'm Listen, saying can we, we just didn't call have it a bottle opener at this point. No, I like it. Beer can opener. Like, it's a legit, that yeah. just adds so much, it you does. know, context That's to true. this story. It seems a lot worse. <laughs> well, I mean, when he's got a knife and then you say yeah. he had a can opener, that doesn't sound <laughs> great. When he's got a knife and you got a beer can opener, I mean, at least you got some right. Yeah, my imagination goes <laughs> wild. I'm yeah. like, oh, wow, what was it like? <laughs> Maybe a lot harder to repent, though, to, for the beer opener. Than <laughs> but, the, uh, but really, to, to answer your question, uh, briefly, that uh, I remember a time that my parents took me to see a doctor, but the doctor didn't examine me. We just talked, mm-hmm. and I thought he's a very nice man. He didn't give me a shot. He didn't do. Didn't tell me to unbutton my shirt. Anything. He just talked. And it was a short time after that that they put my brother in a home, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't find out till years later that he he felt like those violent outbursts and all were a reaction to my brother and uh, and the way people things people said about him and treated him mm-hmm. especially in the neighborhood where we live there were there were guys that were always bringing it up and they could uh, they could just say something about him and I'd just lose it mm-hmm. and I I do remember and it was childhood anger I, I was not a tough guy I mean you talk about guys that grew up in a in a bad neighborhood and that's the whole different kind of tough mm-hmm. mine was a lot of bluffing a lot, of, a lot of hitting people first, you know. but the, uh, but the, but it was anger because I, I do remember that when I felt that way, I didn't feel anything. Yeah, they could hit me two or three times. I didn't feel it. because yeah. I was so angry. Yeah, and I know that feeling. You feel that rush, and you know you're getting in a mode where nothing. You're not going to feel anything for a while. You will when you're picking yourself up. You feel oh yeah. It. But oh, then, yeah. so I, I do know that, and I think a lot of it had to do with. Uh, of feeling badly about things that, and and feeling like we were we were poor, and uh, that 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 we did get uh, treated wrongly by some people. I had a sense of injustice mm-hmm. that probably was common for a lot of kids that lived in our neighborhood. And in fact, where I where I live, Marquis, it's funny moving back to Tulsa after all these years. I, I decided to drive by the old house, the old neighborhood where we lived, and I told somebody where I was going, and they said whoa, you better go before the sun goes down because that's a place you don't want to be after dark. Really? And I think they call it now Hope Valley or something like that. Oh, 61st and and Peoria? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we lived it. We lived it right off of 62nd in Peoria. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's a that's a that's a pretty interesting area. Yeah. It's a pretty interesting area. So, switching gears just a little bit. Um Let's talk about your, your fatherhood story of your journey. Like, what was your favorite part about being uh, a father? Wow. I fell in love with uh, my son when he was born. Mm-hmm. And I realized, holding him in my arms, I thought, wow, I am hooked for the rest of his life. Right. This is my kid, you know. It was, I'm sure you can relate to that. You oh, know, yeah. I can now. Yeah. It's a, it, but it was that feeling of, uh, you know, that this is not up to me anymore. There's yeah. a bond here, you know. And uh, I was divorced when he was three years old. Mm-hmm. And so he just thought it was kind of fun coming to my place at first. And uh, he was too young to really have severe emotional uh, feelings, I think, about the whole thing. 
Yeah, the context of what yeah. was actually happening. That came along later. Yeah. But at the beginning, it was, it was. I think that um, I learned a lot during that time. I, mm-hmm. I was, I was, I did not see the divorce coming. Uh, somebody said, no matter how thin you slice the bologna, it always has two sides. You know, I'm sure there's a another side, and a lot of things. Everybody has their own perception, but I didn't see it coming, and I really was blindsided by suddenly living in an apartment and having a kid on almost every weekend. Because in the beginning, she was involved with someone else and would often call and say, could you keep him this weekend, too? Right. And I always said, yeah. How well, old is yeah. he at this point? With three when we started out. Okay. And then on from there, uh, he was uh, he was eight, I believe, eight or nine when, uh, when I remarried. Mm-hmm. And that kind of changed everything. But for a while, it was this weekend dad, single father, and... Uh, I think I started, the first mistake I made is I tried to entertain, I tried to over-entertain him. Mm. I tried to think about, I want to make this the greatest weekend mm-hmm. of his life. Yeah. Which was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of pressure. Yeah. And I think he, I, I began to realize that he would rather stay home and play a game or something. He'd, yeah. He would rather just, it was the time with me that he enjoyed, not what I could do for him or what I could buy him. Well, it's it's interesting that you say that is because... Like, I remember having my son, my oldest son, he's 21 now, but when I used to have him for the weekends, like, that was fully my whole motto. It's like, how do I keep this kid entertained enough yeah. to to want to come back? Exactly. Because, you know, it's mama's boy, daddy's girl, so I can't ever compete with as much time as he had. And then I, I figured out later on that I just had to make sure the last couple of hours were awesome. It didn't matter what I did in the beginning, but as long as the last couple of hours, that's all he would remember. Excuse you know, me. that is, that is so true. You, I know exactly what you mean. It's kind of like a preacher preaching a sermon. You make sure the last 10 yeah, minutes Yeah, just make the last 10 minutes say, What a great sermon. So I was going to ask, because I, I, I unfortunately have heard this word divorce a lot in the last, I want to say, three weeks mm-hmm. um, from pl- close friends and other fathers. Um, if you could talk just a little bit about when you were going through that process, you know, loving your kid, fully in love and engaged, and then being blindsided with that, like, how is that, how are you kind of processing and what are some of the things that were helping you to uh, maintain your your sanctity as being a father in that and then your your own mental sanity as, a, as an individual, as a man that's losing, you know, seemingly everything uh, at that time and you're trying to kind of rebalance yourself and then move to an apartment and all that like what is that what is that process like for you it was horrible for me I, I think it was a, kind of like a downward spiral of depression mm-hmm. I, I never I used to think maybe I wasn't very bright or maybe at least I was a little shallow because I never got depressed about anything I thought all the great novels the great music the great lyrics to songs are just some sad thing <laughs> And I thought, I've never been sad about anything, you know, (laughs) (laughs) kind of rolling along. And, well, that changed. And I I did not know how how much I was defining depression by leaving my job and coming home and going to bed about 6.30. Because going to bed was a better alternative than anything else because I didn't have to think. It was like turning off the brain. Mm -hmm. And... Nothing made me laugh, and then I would have to get up for when I had him on the weekends because I didn't want him to know that I was feeling that way. 
but it was really hard. I think people started seeing it at work. Uh, one, one little little thing that kind of illustrates the severity of it briefly is right after that happened, I started to make. I was sitting in my office at work, and I I was working in a, a job then in retailing and operations and different things, and I started to to write some notes, and I, I couldn't write. Mm-hmm. I had lost the ability to write. And I panicked because there were several things I had to do. And I called my secretary and I said, I want you to write this down for me. Da 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 And kind of dictated some stuff to her. And then got it to where it needed to go and then closed my door and thought, my God, what what's going on? Mm-hmm. And I had to actually learn how to write again. Wow. And in doing that, my handwriting today is different than it was before that divorce. I never whatever I had learned <laughs> during wow. that much of my 30 years uh, was just down the tube as far as right. I had to learn how to write all over. So I think it, it really, really did affect me. Wow. Deeply. We're definitely going to have to talk about this in uh, a private group. Yeah. And that, that whole thing about depression and, and how to get out of it and deal with it. You know, that was a, a long road, but uh, God really, uh, taught me a lot about that and there are certain aspects of it that I still I see the red flags and I know when it's time to uh, make a u-turn but uh, yeah that was that was really tough and uh, I think that it, he helped me by being there on the weekends but I, I tried to always be more positive than probably actually felt right so you always talk about how uh, one of the cool stories that you always talk about is like on the weekends, you know, whenever you'd go to the swimming pool, you oh, yeah. always know, you know, yeah. it's dad's weekends because everybody right. in the apartment complex yeah. would just be the men. Um, right. t- uh, tell us what it was like, like whenever you would interact, you know, just as a dad back then, um, you know, as your son was growing up, like on the weekends, did you always feel like you had to start over or did you pick up where you left off last time? What was that like for you and, and your son? Well, I think gradually it got to where he, he really wanted to come. And, okay. And that made me feel a whole lot better. And I learned, for example, they had what you were referring to. They had a, a really, it was a big complex. They had a big adult pool, adults only pool. And then they had a children's pool. And on Saturdays, the children's pool was almost totally <laughs> weekend dads. Wow. And, uh, and a whole lot of talking about how they hated, how much they hated their spouse. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you think that's bad. Let me tell you what happened. You know, and, and I thought, you know, this is depressing. I don't, silly, I don't want to sit down here with my feet sticking in the pool, <laughs> listening to all of these stories for the hundredth time. And all yeah. that. So I just started doing something else. I remember one time I just took him to a public pool so I could be there with normal people, right? Who weren't just talking bad about their spouses, you know. But yeah, that was kind of a downer. But I I learned, and here here too, Marquis, I'm not a very handy guy, you know. I, I can't build things. I can't fix things very well. I'm not your handyman guy. But I learned that I could go, and I didn't have a lot of money either. And I, I learned that I could go to places like um, Home Depot or Lowe's or somewhere and get scraps of wood mm-hmm. and some paint, and I had a hammer and some nails. It's really easy to make a boat or a plane. Right. It's not, it didn't have to be professional, but just do something together to build something. Wow. And I remember one time I took some old Hot Wheels things that he had, and I got a one-by-eight long board. I bought that, 
and then I just uh, stapled the Hot Wheel tracks, two of them side by side from the top to the bottom, and started having races with his Hot Wheel cars, you know. But we he did that with me, you know. We did, the, and those were the things that really would turn out to be the best things. He loved doing that. Yeah, and he still talks about to this day. He's like this. He's forty four, and he still talks about. Remember when we built that little? <laughs> and my, my wife will think, I can't believe he ever built anything. You know? <laughs> but it was, it, I think it was maybe desperation, but but I think anything that you do. And I, I know that, that some of that is in your heart about if you have a place for guys to bring kids yeah. and you do some things like that, kids love that. Yeah. And that turned out to be a whole lot better than taking them to something. I, I found out, for, nothing wrong with taking a kid to movies or anything like that, but I found out that was the least relational thing I could do. Yeah. Sit there in the dark by him and laugh at, at the I mean, there's a time to do it, and I'm not yeah, against yeah. it or anything like that. <clears throat> but the real bonding things were were just little projects together and and, and nature. He used to he used to talk about the nature trail. The nature trail was just a park in the middle of the city that wasn't really all that great, you know. <laughs> but there was a log and teaching him how to walk that log without falling off. Yeah, it, we had to we made it an adventure, and those became uh, those those made those times fun. What really made it stick out to me because I I, I didn't I didn't learn any of this stuff until now. Um, I was listening to a um, a story from from Tony Dungy, and so <clears throat> you know, for those of you that don't know, he is a, he was a coach for the Colts um, when Peyton Manning was there, and a lot of a lot of other coaches or a lot of other players that are you know went on to be great. Well, he was telling a story about his son, and he was like, you know, I've taken this this kid to all these Super Bowls. He's been to all these parties with all these stars mm -hmm. and celebrities. And, you know, I've literally taken him to Greece. We've done all these things as family. And, and I asked him one day, I was like, Hey son, you know, what's your favorite memory of me? And, uh, his son goes, you remember that time we got locked in the basement <laughs> and we rolled up some tape and, uh, played baseball with a, with a, with a broom and that tape. That was my very favorite memory. <laughs> wow. And I was like, yeah. dang. And it, it made me remember uh, a guy by the name of Jason Bailey. He used to be my boss. He, he took over the, the Cub Scouts. And he was like, I love kids. No matter what you do, it's great. He said, I literally took a ball of foil and just balled it up and was like, who wants this foil? And yeah. he started making a game out of the foil. And the, the little boys went crazy because they it just, it just, like you said, it's the relationship right. portion of it. So speaking of relationship, you went through a, a period of downtime uh, where you and your son didn't get a chance to connect and then now are in the process of reconnecting. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how that part came about? And then like, you know, what are some of the methods that you're using to, to be able to create that relationship? Cause that's one of the things I suffer from me and my son had uh, somewhat of a close relationship when we were, when he was young, but I, he doesn't know, but I had to pretend to be very interested in mm -hmm. his mom or I couldn't see him at all. You know what I mean? And unfortunately today he only sees that half of the baloney mm -hmm. that his mom showed him, mm -hmm. which was, Oh, this guy's very inconsistent. And it was like, I could only fake it for so long. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. she's wanting to, okay, not only do we have sex, then now we have to go out and do dating things. Now we have to go in public. Then we have to try to talk about marriage. And it's like, every time we got to that point, 
I got to cut it because I'm not going to marry you. You know what I mean? So then I would wait six months and then we'd have to start this process all over again. And I don't think that you had a situation like that, but for mine, that was a pretty typical situation. Uh, and that's what we, uh, define as the baby mama, uh, mm-hmm. the person that you go back and forth with in a sexual relationship and or emotional relationship to try to gain access to your kid because you are under this belief that you don't have any, well, in Oklahoma, you didn't have any rights mm-hmm. to your child unless you had $400,000, which mm-hmm. I did not, to be able to pay. So what was it like for you you know, because of, of course, for a black man in America, I think, well, you're white. You had all the advantages. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You shouldn't have had any. I mean, you obviously didn't drink outside of stabbing some kid with a, you know, a, a beer <laughs> opener. <laughs> yes. So, you know, it's just just to give context to those dads that are, you know, kind of thinking, well, my situation is so different. Um you know, what were some of the things that that led up to the split? And then how would you kind of navigate that space to get to where you are now yeah i think a lot of those things the bottom line is very similar how you get there might not be similar but uh when he was in high school my my marriage was strong we had uh, brought a great young girl into our lives that uh, that we had adopted that really needed another home uh the three of us were very close. And mm-hmm. when my son came, the, you know, we did a lot of things as a foursome. But I think he began to feel like the the, the man left out because mm-hmm. he was only there on the weekends. And we were having more and more activities with church because I was pastoring then. And a, a lot of everything from volleyball games to going to events and just stuff, you know. And he couldn't always go. Mm-hmm. And anyway, he began to feel more left out. His mother did not remarry. And this, this is kind of a big deal because I think if she would have remarried, a lot of things would have been different. But she began to feel like he was seeing the weekends with us as family because there was a stepsister, a mom, and a dad. Mm. Sometimes he would get confused and refer to to my wife as mom. Oh, wow. In front of his mother. Oh, but no. That went over, you know, really well. But uh, it, it got to be where I think she felt a certain desperation for whatever reason, I don't know, mm-hmm. but I just know that there was every, it just over and over, it, we would go weeks without seeing him. And, uh, well, we we got tickets, we're going to fly to California this weekend. So, uh, you know, everybody has their things. Yeah. And, uh, and when we had a long talk, he said, every time I hang out with you guys and I start talking about it, I'll have like two weeks of living hell. And he said, it's just... We just need a little take a little pause here, and I'm not going to come over for a while because I'm my mom's having a real tough time with it. How old was he at this time? He was like about the tenth grade. Oh wow! And that was really tough. And when I would call or talk, or there's always a reason. Hey, love you, and I will do it, but I can't do it this weekend. Or I know you're getting ready to leave in about an hour to come pick me up. I can't really do it. And then. Uh, after a while, it just got to where I got upset by it mm-hmm. and uh, said some things about it, made this whole situation worse. And uh, then before long, he was going to college at Texas A&M, and uh, I felt like he didn't want to see me. Mm-hmm. When we talked trying to get back together many years later, he said, why didn't you ever try to, why didn't you just come up and knock on my door? 
at Texas A&M. And I said, honest answer here. Yeah. I thought you'd tell me to go straight to hell. Yeah. I thought by that time that you pretty much hated me. Yeah. And, and that I, level and of also, rejection and is And I also just thought not. it's not fair. It's not right. Yeah. He treats me this way. Well, I'm going to be the best dad I can to the other one. I'm going to help other guys that are going through stuff, you know, because my kid does not want to be around me. Yeah. Um, started dating a girl right after he got out of college and, and she sent me a letter she said i really am in love with your son i've never met you i've heard the story of how you she said how can you claim to be a minister a pastor of a church and treat him the way you treat him so i wrote her a letter back and i said first of all you, you don't have any idea what you're talking about yeah. obviously yeah i pray for that guy every every day i long for the day that i'll see him yeah he doesn't want to be with me. Yeah. If he did, I'd be there in about two seconds. Yeah. And you you don't get it. And I said, his mom had some problems with him being a part of our family over here. And it just got out of control. And then years have passed, and I never see him. I I know what kind of car he drives. When I see it, I'll pull up beside just to check. And Yeah. Everything. I think oh, about it all the time. I know that know? feeling so bad. And, uh, I do I, it every time I go to a quick trip. Anytime I'm in Bixby and I go to a quick trip, there I mean, immediately, like, like the feeling of, like, maybe, yeah. what if I see? Yeah. And well, then it's like, well, what is he going to say? You know, is he going to, you know, and I've seen him in public a few times, and he's usually very cordial, very speaking. Yeah. But it's just like that that maybe, you know, and I, and I don't know what it is, but it's just like the level of rejection from a woman, like, that you're trying to date is nothing compared to somebody that you want to love that you're supposed to be connected to. That's true. You know what I mean? Like it knocks the breath out of you. Oh my gosh. When we, we went, yeah. so when Crystal's from um, Bartlesville, when, when, you know, when we first started dating, she, she would be so mad at me because we would go there and she was attaching my emotions to me going to see her friends or me being a part of her life. And she was like, you just don't want to be a part of my life. And I said, like, you don't understand. Like my daughter could walk up on me at any given moment. Yeah. Like you have no idea how freaking paralyzing it yeah. is to know that this person that I've yearned for, for all these years to love yeah. these years to be a part of, you know what I mean? I've seen her one time in her whole existence. And I'm thinking to myself, man, maybe. No. And I would be so depressed by the time we left Bartersville that yeah. she just was like, I don't even. And then finally I was to a point where I could share it. And it made sense to her, but I just couldn't. You, there's, It's just hard to, to, to verbalize that yeah, as a true. father. Like, you know what I mean? When you think, okay, my son's got a red Mustang. Every time you see that car, it's just like, <gasps> yeah. And then you get the letdown of, no, it's not. But then what if it is? Do you wave? Will they pull over? Or are they going to just give you the finger and <laughs> keep driving? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And yeah. it's funny you say that because with him, it was a red Corvette. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, being a white guy, we have not. And <laughs> no, it was, he had a little gold chain around his neck. The funny, the funny thing about that was later on, I mean, years later, not too long ago, I was talking to him about that. And I said, every time I'd see a red Corvette, I would think, well, is it, is it you? And in my mind, I thought, this kid's grown up. He's got a Corvette. He thinks he's really a big stud. Yeah. And he's, uh, you know, he didn't need my money for sure. And he's just kind of thinking, boy, you know, 
I overcame this thing about having a horrible dad, and now I got this mm-hmm. Corvette, and I'm a cool guy. He said, Corvette wouldn't even mind, Dad. He said, it's just somebody let me drive it. Oh, wow. And uh, he said, I didn't have the money for a Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny how if you if you ever had a chance, if you ever have a chance to talk to your daughter or your son about that, mm-hmm. their perception is probably going to be so different Way than what you think. Yeah. Because I had all of the stuff I thought about him. And here's the, I'm still in the process of, of getting to know him as a man and almost everything I imagined was wrong. Wow. And I, and I realized I'm going to have to learn to know this guy again because I don't know him. Mm-hmm. So did the letter from the girlfriend prompt your reunion with your son or how did you begin to get reunited? Well, it made me think because she did, she sent me another letter later after I responded to her and she said, I thought a lot about what you said in your response to me and uh, we broke up last week. And it said, broke my heart. It was like a really sad breakup. But I want to tell you, you were right in some things you thought about him, about the way his mother felt about him being with you guys and it being like a family, the fact that it didn't work out for her and she felt like she was couldn't compete as well and things that she would do to try to keep you guys apart Mm-hmm. And I don't say that to make her feel bad yeah, yeah, because yeah. I, I, I can understand. I can understand the way she felt, and yeah. I really can. Yeah. But it's a, it was unfortunate because he got caught in the middle of that. And anyway, she said, "I don't think you will ever be able to overcome the emotional situation between you and your ex, and how it affects him because that is his mother." Mm-hmm. And good luck and God bless you or something. Like that. And then yeah. since then, he did find the girl that he wanted to marry, and they got married. And her mother was one of my older sister's best friends, so she had automatic uh, positive feelings about me. Oh, which is, I, I love. Well, that's a blessing from the Lord, man. Yes, it go, is. Because you can relate, I'm sure. To oh this, yeah. But you go around feeling like, in the eyes of however many people, count them up. You know, you were a real jerk. Yeah. And, and, you know, don't have, re- I used to say, you know, as far as certain people are concerned, I have no value as a person. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely know I have some of those people yeah. in my life. Uh, yeah. James, do you think you have value as a person? Nope. No. <laughs> not, not in that side of town, I don't. <laughs> and, and I think, and then what really hurts, they really believe that. They really, if there could ever be, an honest meeting of the mind. So many things like that could be healed. That's but, it. And it's just sad. That's the, the, and that's really the, the, the purpose is because what, what people don't realize is the science behind it is it takes seven interactions to overcome or seven, seven positive interactions for a child to overcome one negative. Right? Mm-hmm. So if you are a weekend dad, and say, let's just say you got them every weekend. You're a special dad. You get them every weekend. Mm-hmm. That's like literally out of 30 days, you have eight days to try to make an impression. And that's just not enough time to even circumvent. So the first, say the first weekend, he wants to go to Six Flags. You can't go. Now that's a negative 
Now you have to not only go back home, the child has to go back home and maybe express this negativity to mom, which mom may exacerbate uh, because she's already in her feelings for regret or something that, oh, I remember when your dad said I was going to go to the, and then it just turns it. Yeah. And so now you come into this next weekend with a major deficit. Right. And, and you see it when it, at the at the trade off, you know. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Yeah. No, you have to go. <laughs> and it's just like this te- pulling teeth. And then you're like, ah, this is the one weekend I do have to work and drop him off at my sister's or my mom's house. So now he doesn't even want to go. And I don't even get a. Ch- you know what I'm saying? And so, when they get older, they start feeling guilty about locking you. Yeah. You know, you think, well, I'd like to think something good about him, but that'd be betraying someone. Be betraying somebody yeah. else. Yeah. I, I, I see remember, that happening yeah. so much. Oh, it yeah. does. So sad. It yeah. does happen a lot, and and the and the reconciliation just just it, the hurt gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's, I, I remember uh, one situation where a check bounced, a child support check bounced, mm-hmm. and uh, we were going through a very hard time. See, there's a whole other side of the world that nobody knew from the other group. But the church was struggling. We were trying to get this, this little church plant to grow, and I was working like three jobs, and it was just a hard time. Mm-hmm. And this child support check, which I was just meticulous about making sure that was always paid, but it bounced. And when I I was so shocked when that happened, I called her up and I said, "Look, I know the check bounced. Well, it sure did." And I said, I, I'm, "I'll be over there." I went to the bank. I got the money. I'm bringing the cash, and I'll be at your house in like an hour. And I was so embarrassed. But when I got there, she asked me to come in, which was very unusual. I come in, and there was a mutual friend sitting on the couch who was very devoted to her. And then my son came in, and he said, I just want to say to you, he called my son's name, he said, this is a check here, and down here in the corner, it has your dad's name written on it. <clears throat> what that means is that he's saying that he guarantees this amount to be paid to your mother. <clears throat> and when she tried to cash it, that much money was not in the bank. That <clears throat> is the definition of a lie. He signed his name to this and it wasn't there, so he was lying. My first question is, how close did you get before you punched this dude in the face? Well, pretty close. I didn't have a beer opener with me, but I... <laughs> oh, I yeah, thought, he would have got all of that. But I, but I realized I was being set up no matter what I said, and by yeah. that time I had learned, the matter I get, the guiltier I appear. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a catch, you know? Yeah. So um, I said, I cannot... Because I've known this guy for a long time, before I was married, even. Mm-hmm. And I said... I cannot believe what you're doing right now. You've never made a mistake in your whole life. Well, I've never done that. You've never said or done anything that could be interpreted as a lie. And he said, no, I haven't. And I said, well, that's the first button right there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But uh, anyway, I said, well, um, I gave you the money. I said, and certainly want to say to my son, that's the money right there. She got the money. Yeah. So I know it. And I guess, you know, I'm out of here. And I'll never forget it. He said, I think he was about 10, and he said, I'll walk to the car with, with Dad. And then we go out, walk into the car, and he says, sorry about that. Oh, wow. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. 
Thank God that he and had I thought, the, then I thought, I'm glad I didn't, yeah. you know, mouth off to the guy or yeah. punch him. Yeah. Because it's, you know, and I just have to chalk that up to my Heavenly Father thing. You know, it's been through enough. Ooh, <laughs> but, uh, but those are the, I say that because I know there are guys probably listening to this and uh, you got a lot of hurt in your heart. And you think of, you can probably think of a lot of things similar to that that seem to be so unfair. But there is reconciliation. And I, and I should say here, while we have a chance, that I have a very good relationship with my son now. Yeah. And, uh, and he has a son. Wow. And uh, it's, uh, but we did say that we did make some ground rules in having a relationship. And one is that I am never, this was his ground rules, I am never to say something negative about his mom. Mm-hmm. And that, I am never to take the position of a victim involving the divorce. That's interesting. I don't know why I would say that because, and I've had a real hard time with that because I was yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways. I really was a lot of that was a, a victim. I mean, there were things where I really did make every effort to do way beyond. My attorney even said, you're not handling this right. You're getting walked on on this. Yeah. You you know, you're getting clobbered on this. You're going to be so messed up financially because you're giving up way more than you should. I, I couldn't say, I can't say that. Yeah. You know? Wow. And I really want to. I want to say, you know, this is not fair. But our agreement is such. And, I, and I'm thinking there will be a future conversation when I say, I, want to, I really want you to know some things while I'm still on this earth. Mm-hmm. I might have to break the rule to tell you, but how, <laughs> well, I, how, import, how important is truth? To be honest, I would think that the reason the rule exists is because he knows. I kind of wondered about I think, that myself. I think the issue is, is that he knows, Just didn't want to hear but it. it's literally going to shatter his entire world yeah. to find out. Mm-hmm. Because that is... That is the struggle that I have with my kids. And that's why they try to stay away is because it's going to literally shatter the entire makeup of what they think their relationship with their mothers are and what my absence represents. And so that's where it's like, listen, I've suffered enough. I can't handle it. And that's the only reason why I respect it is because it's like, you are probably not at a place. Because I couldn't have handled it when my dad tried to tell me. When I repeated it three times, I was like, ah, that's what you were talking about. Okay, now I see the truth in it. Because it's easy for me to, at 14, meet my dad for the first time and be like, see, you should have, you should have, you should have. Why come you didn't, you didn't, you didn't. And now you got this whole family over here. Now you now you want to be a dad. Yeah. And then when I when I realize like, oh, there's levels to this thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it takes two to tango, two to make a creation. And but it's only one person that gets to decide to keep it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like one person can mm-hmm. say, Nope, I'm gonna keep it and I'm gonna put you through hell on earth yeah. while you have this child because I choose to. Let, let, let me give you one little beam of light here about of hope about this. Remember what we said about building the planes and the and the uh, boats and old wood and all that stuff, but the creativity brought us together mm-hmm. and creating little games, that kind of thing. Now, after all of these years, having a conversation late one night, texting each other back and forth. My son is now a, a worship leader, and, and he loves music. He's written a lot of songs, and that is kind of his thing that he loves. 
And we started talking about old songs, all kinds of songs, and saying, what, what memory do you have when you hear this song? I'm talking about, now I'm going way back. He's going a little back, you know, because he's younger than I am. <laughs> but we're talking about these songs. And he said, for example, there's this song by Roseanne Cash that, and it gets to this part about God, I hope he comes back soon. And, you know, it's this. He said, every time I hear that song, I get this feeling, but I don't know why. And I've listened to the lyrics, and I started saying, could it be because of blah, blah, blah? And that I have this feeling about, and I didn't have, I didn't break any rules, but I said, when I hear this, the old boss gag songs about love, look what you've done to me, you know, it brings back a sense of being alone in Houston, Texas, in the middle of the night and thinking nobody's there. Wow. So we started talking about all this stuff. And then it goes on, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, and we're going back and forth on all this stuff. And he said, you just will never know how much I've enjoyed this conversation. He said, it's made me feel closer to you than ever because I realize we have some of the same tendencies to be affected by certain emotions. Mm. Mm. And I'm thinking the old boat building and plane building thing, whatever creativity that you can share as adults, it still works. Yeah. And I realize my, my uh, emotional connection with him is going to mainly be around creativity. And, and talking to him about what were you thinking when you wrote this song? Yeah. First of all, I go back and listen to it again. Then I look at the lyrics because he's recorded some songs. Yeah. And I'll say, what, why did you, this phrase, you know, it's really a cool phrase, but what were you thinking when you wrote that? Oh, it's funny you would ask, you know, I was at school and I did something. And, and I think, okay, I've discovered a way to connect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I say that to guys out there, whatever your thing is, maybe it's taking him to a, a football game. Maybe it's listening to a record. Find out where his emotions are and see how you can connect to that. I'm not saying this as an authority because I'm in the middle of it right now myself. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. clock's ticking, you know. But I, but it seems to really work. Well, yeah. this is one of those things that gets encapsulated in time. Yeah. Crystal, you got anything before we close out? Yeah, you know, you kind of just answered the question already. If there was one lasting message you wanted to give the fathers, and I believe you just did it unless you have something else on your mind. But, yeah, that was really my only uh my only pitch that I wanted to make sure we opened it up for that, you know. Um, And I think actually I do. I have one lingering question I just can't let go. And, you know, it's what would you say to the fathers out there having been a weekend warrior father and then going to not having a relationship at all and then hearing from your son, why didn't you just knock on my door? You know, I I don't know how you feel with those words. But what would you say to those fathers that have that opportunity to knock on the door but are just fighting that what if? You, you were very uh, wise in, the, in determining that's probably the most hurtful thing of, of yeah. the whole. Boy, that was a killer, you know? Yeah. But, and what I, what I would say is uh, if I had it to do over again, hearing that comment, you know, yeah. I'd be on my way to College Station, Texas in about two seconds. And I, and I thought, how many other things? I've, I've done bold things before. I know yeah, you yeah. have. And oh, yeah. yeah, Chris. Yeah. There's times in your life you say, I'm going for it. I don't care what. You walk in your boss's office and say, now look. You know, <laughs> there are those, there's those times. Yeah. And that would have been one of those times. I think, man, I wish I, I wish I, that story had another ending. I wish I would have marched up. And, and uh, you know, there were, there were times that I've done things like that, but I didn't because I just felt like he, I was overreacting in my defensiveness to the way I thought he felt. And yeah. I think don't, don't assume um, and I would do that differently, but uh, and I'm trying to do that now. There are times that I feel like I have every reason to not call him, and I think, oh my God, I'm anyway. 
Because remember what he said about what you know. Mm. Yeah. That stayed with me. And one other quick thing is that I saw that I have seen the difference in Marquise when he began a relationship with you mm. about a lot of things. Yeah. And I already liked him and admired him <laughs> for, and for a lot of things anyway. But you've made a huge difference in his life, and and my wife did too. I think a lot of things that a lot of good things that happened. Uh, she was really behind that and was supportive of me and even making sac- making sacrifices to make sure that Ryan got this or Ryan got this. Or she would say, call him, write him, do this, do that. And it gave me a little objectivity because she wasn't dealing from emotion mm-hmm. the way I was. Right. He who finds a wife... Yeah. Obtaineth a good thing. Absolutely. <laughs> well, so for a little context for you, I know we didn't really say it in the beginning, but uh, James Bell and his wife have been our marriage counselors. Uh-huh. They did our pre-marriage counseling, and they have counseled us for about two years now. So um, that is their our relationship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, the crowd's going wild for you guys doing your job, man. You know? That is, that is. Keep your seat. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, we think the world of you guys, and I appreciate you letting us in on this. And I, I really appreciate what you're doing because something that I guess there was so much that we could have covered that we didn't have. Oh, covered. yeah. We got to definitely keep but going. One of, keep but going. One, of the, but one of the things <clears throat> is how alone you feel, how yeah. isolated you feel. Yeah. And I think to whoever's listening to this, you may feel like you're the only one. I, I honestly did. When people would try to do some kind of counseling or try to get me in a support group, I always thought nobody in this group feels the way I do. Nobody in this group has experienced it the way I have. Right. So I'll be I'll be nice. I'll say good things to them, but they don't know how I'm feeling. Nobody knows how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think probably every one of them felt the same way. Right. You know? Oh yeah. But you you feel and it is it is the enemy of your life spiritually yeah. that wants you to feel isolated yeah. because you can't get much help if you're, if you're, if you isolate yourself. And that's why uh, that, you know, birthright is really out there to let people know you're not by yourself. You're not the only one. Amen to that. Well, Hey, we're going to go ahead and jump into the fi- private fatherhood group. Uh, James, once again, we absolutely thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. Um, we will jump into private fatherhood group and ask you some more in-depth questions just for the dads, So that way they know, uh, and, uh, we have some more guests here downstairs anyway. So we'll see you guys next time on birthright living legacy. Feel free to follow us on all the social medias as well as join us online or in person at our wonderful biweekly second and fourth Thursdays, uh, for our fatherhood meetings. Birthright Living Legacy needs your help. As we are on a mission to help fathers who are needing to overcome obstacles to see their children. We are preparing to provide curriculum, counseling, and family law assistance for any of our fathers. We will also have many fun events to participate in with their children as we build a fatherhood community. Partner with us on Facebook or Instagram and go to our website at brlivinglegacy.com and go to our donation tab on the bottom of the page to make a contribution. For any questions, contact us on any of our platforms as we would love to help. Birthright Living Legacy, changing lives one father at a time.